Barely Research Facts is a facts-based show, Barely, brought to you by Art Now Thus, an arts, events and content company based in India. The show is a trip down dissection lane of words. Every episode, the hosts, Ragini and Shah, choose one word and deep dive into it. Every interesting fact we can find, we research somewhat casually and bring to you, pairing it with some good humor and casual chat between two friends. Welcome to episode three of our second season. I can't believe we're on our second season already. We've got a fact pack season with the usual great facts, good chat. And we're throwing in some more guests this season to help us get you facts with that expert edge. So this episode got us punning on the fly, talking about a poltergeist from our and your childhood, morbid humor in a dictatorship, our favorite redhead, Rick Astley, along with activist of vegetarianism and little known mathematician Pythagoras and his prank cup. So, Ragni, do you want to start? So the reason why we've chosen prank for this week's episode is because July 27th is the anniversary of one of the most famous pranks in the world. July 27th is the day that Rick Astley's iconic song, Never Gonna Give You Up, was released in 1987. And... Therefore, now we have an episode based entirely on pranks. So that's where that's what this brings you. I mean, I I think he's probably just accepted it and uh, <laughs> taken it on really in a really good way. How his song is just basically only for pranks. Yeah, he he has been he's been quite a sport about it. He quite he's quite happy about it. And from what, everything I've read, he's he's quite a sport. Well, considering his song is now like still, I wouldn't say in the charts. I sound like an old person, but still popular. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a prank song is uh, I think it's probably benefited him in more ways than one good for uh, him good, good for, for him yeah well done him but <laughs> you know what what the thing is the, so basically because this you know Rick Rowling is the anniversary of the Rick Roll is what sort of sparked the idea for this episode I absolutely had to figure out where did the like where did this phenomenon of recrolling begin from in the first place but the mm-hmm. problem with finding stuff like on recrolling on the internet is that a lot of re- links are recrolls so <laughs> it has been an extremely extremely tough research process for me I've been recrolled multiple times but however like always we've come through and yeah here is what it is so, for those of you who don't know, rickrolling in a nutshell involves tricking somebody into clicking on a link that takes them to the video of this amazingly cheesy, super 80s song, uh, Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. And it's usually done by suggesting that the link, you know, the link to something else should be this really compelling click and you really absolutely want to see this. And when you click on the link, it takes you to the song. Haha, <laughs> very funny. I guess you just have to know it to know it. And if you don't know it, then I, I think you're just going to be a little lost for this segment. But stick with us. I promise it's worth it. <laughs> okay, so now how did Rick Rowling begin? Which genius person decided that this would be the song to potentially haunt every unknown link that ever came on the internet? And for that, to know that, it is necessary to start at the beginning. Now, there was a predecessor to Rick Rowling. And its predecessor was this concept called duck rolling. Oh. It really, BRF is really the gift that just keeps on giving. I know, for me yeah. at least. <laughs> and for you. <laughs> so, duck rolling got its start thanks to the founder of the internet message board 4chan, Christopher Poole. And Poole decided to make it so that anytime a user would type, would type the word egg into 4chan, it would automatically autocorrect to duck. 
Now, I personally also think that this is the beginning of the world's most annoying autocorrect ever. And again, if you know, you know. So the prank was apparently a big hit with users. People loved that. And it grew to this place where people just loved that if you ever typed in the word egg roll, it would automatically convert to duck roll, you know, whenever it was typed. And as the joke evolved, there was one user who then photoshopped and linked an image of a duck on wheels. So cute. And, and you know, so if you typed egg roll, you would then get this image of a duck on, rolling on wheels. Um, the collective <laughs> oh power my God, creativity my on the internet, yeah. It's just astounding. Anyway, it soon became a common prank on 4chan to trick other users into clicking links that led to the image of this duck, uh, resulting in the term duck roll. Now, all this then brings us to Rick Rowling, because sometime in May 2007, there was some unknown user on 4chan's video game board posted a link for the trailer for Grand Theft Auto 4. But the link took people to a freebooted upload of the music video, Never Gonna Give You Up. So that suddenly, weathers just took off. And then suddenly, linking the song became the new popular prank, outranking Duck Rolling, presumably. And the term Rick Rolling, borrowing from Rick Astley's first name, and the Duck Rolling meme was coined to describe it. So effectively, I've just given you the etymology of Rick Rolling. How amazing is that? <laughs> It'll give more depth to the pranks that I put on people. <laughs> the peak of Rick Rolling came on 1st April 2008 when YouTube automatically started redirecting every person who clicked on any video on the site's main page to the music video for the song. Uh, and coming back to Rick Astley's reaction to all of this, which is where this whole segment began from, apparently Rick Astley first learned about Rick Rolling after friends of his Rickrolled him and he had no clue what was going on until his teenage daughter explained it to him. And then from what I've heard, he was a total sport and he was like, he, he loves the idea of it. Uh, and that, dear listeners, is the history of the Rickroll. We do have one last super, super fun bit that I haven't been able to include in the episode. Uh, you should totally go to our website, click on the link in our episode notes, and it is definitely not a Rickroll, I promise. But you should totally do it because it's a really fun fact. And it's not a Rickroll. Okay, I'm just saying, <laughs> it might be a Rickroll. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> So Ragni being the prankster that she is reminded me of <laughs> of my favorite prankster from when I was a kid it was from the Harry Potter universe. And I think everybody probably knows what I'm going to talk about or who Ooh. I'm going to talk about. Little Peeves. Not so little, very ancient poltergeist uh, from the Harry Potter novels. So Peeves is described as this miscreant, this constant mischief maker at Hogwarts. And... I think he was like a really good addition for comedic relief. Not that there was any lack of comedy during the books, but he's he's just a nice addition. Also sometimes annoying, but mostly nice. So J.K. Rowling apparently has said that it was inevitable that in a building bursting with teenage witches and wizards, a poltergeist would be generated. Now, this is um, obviously she's going by the older explanation of pol poltergeists is that they're fueled by teenage I don't know, angst, something, teenage hormonal. No, like um, just hormonal cocktails of uh, of um, angsty teenagers. Really? That's, that's what they're. Yeah, it's one of the explanations to <laughs> that. So maybe Peeves just came with Hogwarts, like dry rot, or I don't know, something that lasts centuries, refuses to go away, and also manages to pull pranks on you Mold. every Denver. now and then. <laughs> like one of the. One of the things that I remembered the minute that I thought of Peeves was how he, I wouldn't say encouraged, forced Neville Longbottom to set fire to his own pants 
And by pants, I mean underwear, I think. I hope I may. I hope that's what it means because it's way funnier that way. And Neville Longbottom, obviously, if anybody knows anything about him, he's like the perfect target for someone like Peeves. So how he did it was he blocked the entrance to Gryffindor Tower and he told all the students that you have to set fire to your pants if you want to get in. And obviously, like any normal fictional young adult would do, they all turned around and found another way to go and get to the Gryffindor Tower. <laughs> not Neville, not Neville. Neville, uh, according to the book, Harry and Ron simply turned around and used one of their shortcuts. Yet what they find when they got back to their dormitory, Neville, smelling strongly of singed material and rummaging in his trunk for a fresh pair of pants. Oh, <laughs> I don't remember this from the books. I remember just like Neville being terrorized by peeves. And this is one of the few yeah. that I remember, but... Okay. Now, one of the stories that interested me was from 1876 when Peeves went really hard. He was like, you know what? This, all this putting chewing gum in little keyholes and uh, terrorizing Neville that, that, Mm -hmm. or students like Neville, that's not going to do it for me. So he basically, there was the caretaker at the time, Rancorous Carp, who devised a plan to get rid of Peeves. Why? Why would you do that? By, by laying an elaborate trap, a bait of assorted weapons that Carp would use to lure Peeves underneath a huge enchanted bell jar reinforced by containment charms. That's the kind of poltergeist you want, right? Some Something that gets lured by weapons. This is very Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Well, the point, of course, was to drop the jar on Peeves, which Carp did, but it wasn't enough to hold him. This is like the classic moment of terror when something you think is going to work doesn't work. Yeah, I'm just Uh, wondering who these people are. Like, I don't remember this name at all from the book. Well, yeah, that's because it's from 1876. It's in the history, the annals of history of Hogwarts. (laughs) Peeves has been around for ages, you know. (laughs) So... Anyway, so the bell jar drops, doesn't contain him. He escapes. And now he's not only escaped and is angry, but he's also armed with all the weapons that this carp put in there. So he's got cutlasses, crossbows, a blunderbuss, which is like a hand cannon, a hand cannon um, and went on a completely epic rampage, threatening students um, with his weapons, which he liked to fire at random, not at students, of course. Peeves wouldn't go that far. Hogwarts had to be evacuated for three days while Professor Mole, who was headmistress at the time, tried to agree a peace settlement with Peeves. <laughs> wow. Dude, this is very not a barely research factor. This is quite deep in its research. I've not heard any of this. And I consider myself an expert in Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, wow. Gosh. Yeah, I feel uh, like... <laughs> super privileged right now knowing this info and not. <laughs> Maybe I should have like gloated a bit more. Like Ragni, did yeah. you know? So yeah, so then Hogwarts had to be evacuated. They finally agreed on a peace settlement, which was that Peeves would relinquish the weapons in his charge or in his terrorizing campaign in exchange for a once weekly swim in the boys' toilets on the ground floor, first choice on stale bread from the kitchens or for throwing purposes, and a new hat. Bless him, is all I can say. That's all he wanted in exchange for all his weapons and being trapped (laughs) or being attempted to be trapped. So, yeah. So, Carp, the caretaker, took an early retirement for health reasons soon after. Wonder why. (laughs) And that's, uh, I don't think Filch came in at that point. He probably, Filch is old, but not older than the world. And Peeves spent a couple of centuries. The 1870s is when the world began. (laughs) Yeah. 
And um, Peeves was allowed to spend centuries being forgiven for his little and larger pranks. Uh, so that was our little foray into the Potterverse. Yeah. Yeah, it's always fun, right? To go back into like a, like a Potter, yeah. a Lord of the Rings. I think I have the oldest prank. And really? of all things, yeah. And of all things, it's related to uh, a Greek mathematician. Uh-huh. So... It's so called old, the definitely old, yeah. Super old, yeah. yeah. I mean, even we can't say that this is like our scene. This is this is way too, like no reference at all. <laughs> so it's called the Pythagoras Cup and it's supposed to be the oldest prank still practiced today. So I like these little like disclaimers, not the oldest prank full stop, just the oldest prank still practiced today. So there you go. Uh, So essentially what the Pythagoras cup does is spills your drink if you become too greedy. Let me give you some context. So it's also called the greedy cup and the cup of justice, which sounds like something out of, I don't know, the Avengers, but uh, it's not. It looks like a normal cup, like a goblet with curved up edges um, with one notable difference. There's a column in the middle of the cup which serves the purpose of spilling the drink when a person is too greedy. So I like how my article, my source article put it, quote, the invention of the cup is credited to the Greek philosopher and mathematician Pythagoras of Samos, who is famous for his promotion of vegetarianism and for the Pythagorean theorem. (laughs) So the two things, the two things is he was vegetarian and he contributed to us. And then he created this thing on the side, this theorem on the side, but he was vegetarian. This tiny thing. Yeah, this tiny thing that nobody uses much. Um, So the Pythagoras cup was invented 2,500 years ago because he lived between 570 and 495 BC. And it's considered one of the first practical jokes in history. And it's still used by pranksters all over the world. I love the I love this article. We link it in the additional reading for this episode. So versions of the Pythagorean cup that date back as far as the fourth century have been found by archaeologists, including Roman variations on the same design. Uh, so according to legend, Pythagoras was supervising workers on Samos, which is a Greek island. To ensure the workers didn't drink too much wine, he invented the cup. If the workers filled the cup only to the allowed level, they could drink the wine. If they wanted more, the wine miraculously disappeared. Now, I think this is a bit like hyperbolic because the wine didn't miraculously disappear. It just (laughs) poured out the bottom of the cup. No, it just poured down the bottom of the cup in a stream. So you'd notice You just put the cup above your head and then drink from the bottom of the cup is what I want. You will be greedy and we will fill it to the top with wine. Yeah. yeah. Don't try and teach us a lesson. Yeah, yeah, clearly I would have been like much cleverer worker at this time. (laughs) God, I shouldn't say these things with such confidence. Um, And another thing who's who's going to refute you? I know who's, I I swear, like like, the mathematician. So another name for the cup is the Tantalus cup after the Greek mythological hero Tantalus. Um, After serving, so this is based on legend, obviously, uh, and myth. After serving his boiled son as a meal to the gods. um, Whoa, okay, that was a turn. (laughs) (laughs) That came from nowhere. Um, so Tantalus clearly deserved it. After serving his boiled son as a meal to the gods, Zeus sentenced Tantalus to stand in a pool of water beneath a fruit tree. 
Being thirsty and hungry, every time Tantalus bowed to drink, the water receded. Every time he rose to pick a fruit, the branches moved away. The English verb to tantalize is derived oh. from Tantalus's name. So every time I'm going to use that word, I'm going to think of its negative origins. It's a good one, though. Uh, so the Pythagoras cup tantalizes its innocent victim and hence the name. Now, all in all, just to tell you a little bit about the physics of it, the Pythagorean cup is fairly simple. Unlike regular cups that have one empty chamber, uh, the Pythagorean cup features a small column in the middle. So just imagine a little column that rises up towards the lip of the cup in the middle. The column is fixed right over the stem of the cup and the cup stem is hollow. So there's a small hole at the base of the cup where the where the liquid exits. So within the column is an open chamber and the column also features a small hole that allows the passage of liquid between the cup and the central column. Now, if all of this uh, explanation doesn't make sense to you, we'll put a picture on Instagram <laughs> for the for the creatively challenged <laughs> so that you can have a look at it. And it's it's a really good illustration of how it works. So when you fill the cup to just below the tip of the column, you're able to drink without any issues. But if you fill the cup beyond the column, above the column, then you're going to run into some problems because thanks to Pascal's principle of communicating vessels, when the cup is filled beyond the column, the liquid moves through the small hole up into the column and drains out through the stem and hole in the base. So it's not like it magically vanishes. You know where it's going. <laughs> if you had... You a, just can't do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, if you had a friend, maybe they could like... Like Stand lie down open glass below you. Yes, lie down open mouth below your grass, or you know you can work it out with teamwork. You can work it out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I, I yeah. could do with that picture as well because uh, yeah. the design did yeah, not I make think, much sense to me. Yeah, I know. Just I think we'll put the image up. Don't worry, you guys. We've got you. So that's the story of the Pythagorean cup. Wow, I, I had no. The story took quite a few turns, huh? It did with the boiling yeah. of the children. I'm yeah, sorry that about was just that, like, by the way. <laughs> But a extra fact, fun fact, uh, somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for the last segment for this episode, I have a little story about the worst, potentially the worst pranksters in the world. It's a little family, we all know them. They're called the Husseins. They were very popular once upon a time. But if that doesn't ring any bells, I'm going to actually set the scene for you. Uh, okay. Because that's what I do. So imagine <laughs> this, yeah? A girl calls up her neighbor and she tells her that her husband has been arrested. The woman on the phone gasps and is about to faint. What makes this worse is that this occurs in Iraq at the peak of the war. So her husband is arrested by American or Iraqi forces and will likely be thrown into jail with no recourse. Oh God. Now, just as Mrs. Arrested Husband is about to move into a full-blown panic, the girl on the other end laughs and says, it was an April Fool's joke. Mrs. Arrested Husband gives a sigh of relief and they both laugh and all is well. What? Yes. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it does turn out, uh, well, this, while this is my, you know, I've sort of fictionalized an existing account, uh, this isn't far from really what happens in Iraq. And it seems like the Iraqis take April Fools quite seriously and they really do take dark humor to a whole new level. So, oh. yeah, and one of the reasons for this might be that the most famous proponent of this holiday in Iraq is, as I mentioned, the family of the Husseins. And who do I mean? Oh. I mean Saddam and his son Uday. They were apparently huge fans of the festival and they played many a joke on the on the good people of Iraq. Nothing says ruthless dictator like a good prank, of course. <laughs> so now I'm going to read the next section straight from this page that I came across uh, from the website of the Museum of Hoaxes. 
that is a real place i promise you i'm not i'm not kidding uh, and their website <laughs> has a whole section devoted to april fools pranks and prankers so on 1st april 1998 the babel newspaper owned by hussein san uday informed its readers that president clinton had decided to lift sanctions against iraq only to admit later that it was just joking one can imagine <laughs> the knee slapping of force when readers realized how they'd been taken for a ride The laughs, in, <laughs> the laughs continued in 1999 when Uday mischievously announced that monthly food rations would be supplemented to include bananas, Pepsi and chocolate. Again, just a joke. At this point, the Husseins appear to have run out of material because in 2000, they recycled the sanction lifting gag and 2001 trotted out the ration supplement crowd pleaser one more time. The merciless quality with which the same joke was repeated year after year had an almost surreal quality to it. In fact, it almost makes one sympathize with Saudi Arabia's chief cleric, the Grand Mufti Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Abdullah Al Al Sheikh, who in 2001 decreed that the celebration of April Fool's Day should be banned altogether. It is not known if the Sheikh had his neighbors' hijinks in mind when he issued the ban. So <laughs> this whole paragraph just cracked me up because it, it was I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> anyway, the enthusiasm for the day has transcended the rule of the Hussains. The traditional day of tricks and practical jokes in Iraq is known as Kitpit Nisan uh, or April or April lie and was imported from the west decades ago. Now, the and the general situation in the country and the daily tensions that the people have to deal with have sort of let this day and the humor associated with this day to kind of take a bit of a dark tone. There is another New York Times article that we will link in the blog that talks about this particular brand of humor in Iraq and one of the stories it tells is about this girl named Rava who very casually says that in 2004 uh, when she was in college the students persuaded the class that on April Fools day the poetry professor a man they all hated had been assassinated. Rava says we felt sorry for him but very happy at the same time because there will be no more poetry lectures that day. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> But it does tell us that the macabre humor offered people a chance to laugh for a change in what was otherwise quite a dire situation I suppose. Um, and she does say that sometimes it is difficult to tell what is serious and what is not. She'd gone one morning to the bank and had been told that a husband of a friend had been wounded with three bullets in his leg and she said I thought if it is kid with Nissan and might just be a joke. But then a call to the man's wife confirmed that he had in fact been shot and was in hospital right now. God, talk about dark turns, Ragini. Really, really. Like I was like, wow. You know, I used to think I have I have a dark sense of humor, but this is a whole other whole other level. Yeah, but it does seem like this has become a widespread coping mechanism in the country. And while this is a bit sadder than what you expect to have in an episode on prank, I do think it's impressive to just see how human beings adapt to situations. Like survival For instinct sure. kicks in. You just do what it takes. It is pretty amazing how. you can get used to anything but i guess uh, yeah i also think that the thing that for most of us to be thankful for is that if you do have a dictator ruling your country they don't have get a sense of humor, humor. <laughs> yeah. and not not only are the jokes just really bad like the fact that you have a bad joke and that you repeat it year after year i think that's what's unforgivable <laughs> and on that note i think it brings us to the end of this very fun episode we hope you've It's had fun was. listening <laughs> don't forget a good Don't forget to go check out the extra information because uh, I'm going to go check that link out and see if it is a rickroll or a dickroll or a. It's just an amazing anything. fact. You guys just have to hear it. Like you have to see it. You know the way that you <laughs> that you're selling it. <laughs> um, okay. Well, let us know what you thought of the episode. Yes, and uh, also let us know if you guys have like had some fun pranks played on you or something that you've done. 
you know, just keep us in the loop. We'd like to know about these things. Write to us. Yes. Uh, we're on Instagram at Barely Research Facts, or you could just email us at hi at artnadas.in. Um, also, if you're listening to this episode on iTunes or Spotify, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us. And if you've really enjoyed the episode, drop us a review as well. It really helps us. Uh, and you have our eternal gratitude in return, always. Also, just uh, just another note before we sign off, we plug this into every episode, but I think it's really, uh, it's something fun that we do and I think it's totally worth signing up to. Our parent company, Atma Das, has a newsletter called Probably Relevant. It is a newsletter where we put in all of the cool stuff that doesn't go into the episodes or just stuff that we come across in general. We have, uh, it's a culture newsletter. We have a feature article that goes out that's deeply culture embedded and it has a bunch of just just amazing things that we come across and it's really fun totally free so sign up by the you can sign up by our website at www.artnadas.in or you can hit the link in our instagram bio we will see you next time with a whole new word and a whole new episode bye guys bye as always this episode was edited by mohit chandelia music for the podcast is by charlta arora see you soon bye